Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Kristen Harmel is the author of The Paris Daughter, a novel. This is guest hosted by Julie Chavez, host of the podcast Ask a Librarian, and author of the upcoming Zibby Books memoir, Everyone But Myself. Kristen Harmel is the New York Times bestselling, USA Today bestselling, and number one international bestselling author of The Forest of the Vanishing Stars, The Book of Lost Names, The Winemaker's Wife, and a dozen other novels that have been translated into more than 30 languages and are sold all over the world. Kristen has been writing professionally since the age of 16, when she began her career as a sports writer covering Major League Baseball and NHL hockey for a local magazine in Tampa Bay, Florida in the late 90s. In addition to a long magazine writing career, primarily writing and reporting for People magazine, as well as articles published in numerous other magazines, including American Baby, Men's Health, Women's Day, and more, Kristen was a frequent contributor to the national television morning show, The Daily Buzz. 
She sold her first novel in 2004, and it came out in February of 2006. Kristen was born just outside Boston, Massachusetts, and spent her childhood there, as well as in Worthington, Ohio, and St. Petersburg, Florida. After graduating with a degree in journalism with a minor in Spanish from the University of Florida, she spent time living in Paris and LA and now lives in Orlando with her husband and young son. She is also the co-founder and co-host of the popular weekly web show and podcast, Friends and Fiction. Kristen, thank you so much for coming today. I am so happy that I get to be the one to interview you for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Well, I'm so happy too, because I know you also write about motherhood, so this will be such a perfect conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I'm sure it will be stilted and horrible and we'll have nothing to talk about. I mean, so I, that, I look forward to that. Awkward pauses abound from a, here a, a ton. I absolutely expect that. <laughs> yes, clearly. Well, we're here today specifically to talk about The Paris Daughter, which is out on June 6th. And this is such a beautifully written Book. So one of the blurbs for it, Lisa Barr said it was exquisite and gut-wrenching. And gut-wrenching was the absolute word that kept coming to me or phrase. I just kept Thank thinking, you. oh my gosh, this is... And you captured so well. Part of my excitement for talking to you too is that when I picked this up, I realized I read years ago, probably, I mean, I think right after its release, but I read The Room on Rue Amelie. Oh, years that's ago. Awesome. Oh, how great. <laughs> it was so fun for me to come back to your writing because you're just so talented oh, with you. historical fiction. I really Aww. enjoy your books. Thank Will you, you give us the, since you have a little more practice at it, tell us what the Paris daughter <laughs> is about. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that you say I have more practice at it because, you know, I, I'm just beginning to sort of hone my elevator pitch oh, for it. Okay. So you're going to get sort of the unfiltered, like, let me throw all these things at you and tell me what you think. So I love it. It is the story. It's like I have the first few words down, but then the rest of it, I just spin <laughs> off on a tangent. So it's Perfect. the story of two mothers, two daughters, an allied bomb that falls where it shouldn't in the suburbs of Paris, two families torn apart forever, a disappearance, and a mystery that lingers for 17 years until a chance meeting across the ocean in New York in 1960 sends the two women hurtling back into each other's paths, reawakening old wounds, or maybe reopening old wounds. See, I'm honing mm -hmm. as I go. Yes. And sending them hurtling toward a conclusion that'll change everything for both of them forever. Did that capture it since you've read the book? Did I did I do it in my elevator pitch? Yes, you did. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was Perfect. I was Nailed. listening. Yes, yes. Nailed it. Done. You can take that off of your list to th of things to do today. Yeah, it'll never come out of my mouth that way again, but it, but it came out today, so that's okay. That was a perfect description because there are so many turns in this book. And I was really enjoying that because I think for me, sometimes historical fiction can, it can be slower. Yeah. I find, you know, it just... And I think it's still super valuable and everyone loves different books and all the things, yeah. but but this one really has a lot of motion to it. And I really, I I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It well, was so thank, well thanks done. Thanks for saying that. You know, I think maybe that is one of the advantages to having been writing about World War II for so long. You know, I mean, I, I my first World War II book came out in 2012, The Sweetness of Forgetting, but I had written it a couple years before that. Okay. So I've been kind of living in this world for a while. And I think, therefore, I have a little bit of an advantage in being able to establish the world quickly because I, I know it 
very well. Does that make sense? So that maybe I can dive into the plot a little bit more quickly than I would have been able to do a decade ago. That makes absolute sense. You're very effective with that because at times there are more, yes, you have just the right number of details. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Tell me though, when you were talking about that, I mean, you've been writing about World War II for a long time (laughs) and you've obviously (laughs) been writing historical fiction for a number of years. What is it that keeps you there? Like, why is that your sweet spot? I never intended for it to be. When I wrote The Sweetness of Forgetting in 2010 or so, and it came out in 2012, I thought, okay, I've written my World War II book, like back Mm. to something else. And I did write something else after. I wrote a book called The Life Intended, which was very different. It was set um, primarily in the present day. Um, It was not historical fiction. But the whole time I was writing that book, which I loved, I'm still very proud of that book, but the whole time I was writing that book, I missed being in that World War II universe. I missed finding those details that just make you draw your breath in and say, oh, I can't believe that happened. I want to share that with somebody. And I have found that every World War II book I have written, there is something in the research that has led me to the next book. Mm. A question, something that makes me gasp, something that makes my heart pound a little uh, more quickly. And that was the case with this book too. I I do feel that sometimes readers hear, oh, it's a World War II book, and they think, I've read a thousand World War II books. I'm not going to pick this one up. And and I get that. There are a lot of World War II books out um, there. But I do think that there are still a lot of World War II stories that are untold. Mm. And I think that that time period still has a lot of lessons for us, not just in the way that the past really feels like it's resonating in the politics of today in some ways, but also because of the idea that during World War II, the war was largely won by ordinary citizens standing up to do incredible things. Mm. And that's not the case with every war. Ordinary people, just like you and me, really played a big role in this war. And I think it's an important reminder to all of us in our daily lives that, that wherever we come from, whatever our stations in life are, we do have the ability to make a difference. And that sometimes the way toward the light is something we have to lead ourselves or we have to blaze that path ourselves in some ways. But I do want to note that even though this is still firmly a World War II book in a lot of ways, 40% of the book takes place in 1960. So it is a foot in the World War II genre, but also my other foot is standing in a very different decade across the oceans. So you kind of get a little bit of both with this book. You do get a bit of both. (laughs) And you're exactly right. There's so much that's resonant from those themes that we pull out when we learn about World War II or when we think about it. And it seems like, and tell me if this is correct, you need redemption in your books. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I just, or not need, it just, you definitely, there's always a, they're never hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that's important to note because I I want people to take that away. I I want them to realize that in the darkest of situations, there is always hope. There's Mm -hmm. always, there's always a better tomorrow. You just have to figure out your way there. Yes. And I think that applies to us in the modern day too. I think the stories that take place during World War II are a very powerful reminder of that lesson, which continues to resonate in our lives. Yeah. You do a really good job of drawing that forward and just presenting it for the reader in a way that's very beautiful. Your books make me equally ache and hope. I mean, there's just a real beauty there. 
Thank you so much. And I always feel like I should apologize when people are like, your books made me cry. Your books made me ache. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but you had to, you had to get there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's the idea, right? All of the science around how reading fiction makes us more empathetic and gives us more access to imagination, which is something we need so deeply. And so this idea that if you did go to that place, it means you were there, you were immersed in it. And yes. so it's it really is the highest compliment that I can give is your words, the vibe, all of it. It if it stays with me, then it's been a worthy a worthy amount of time spent. And yours your books are definitely like that. Well, thank you so much. That is a wonderful compliment and I appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a little bit about just what's the shape of your life? Because you are churning out books. You are part of Friends in Fiction, which seems like just the most fun group of friends. It is. It, I mean, it's just adorable. <laughs> and I I want in. <laughs> so you're doing that. Your podcast, you're a mom. And also, you guys have live recordings in addition to the podcast, correct? I mean, it feels like Friends in Fiction has just become its own little spider web of fun and fun and fiction. Spider web, that's a a good way to put it, our web of fun, exactly. (laughs) Yes. A non-dangerous web, just a fun web. Exactly. Yes. So tell me about just what's what's a day like for you? you? How do you do it? You know, I wish I could tell you that I had some big secret for excellent time management, but the fact is I get up probably too early because the second I'm conscious in the morning, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have a to-do list a mile long today. So I'm usually up by about 5.30 or 6, Okay, trying to get a little bit of work done before my seven-year-old and my husband wake up. We get him out the door to school, although today uh, that we are recording this is the last day of school. So the summer looms before us and I'm already having anxiety about how, how the days are going to work oh, out then. hundred <laughs> percent. Summer is like, you just throw all the balls up in the air and just like, I don't know where Hope they're going to they land. land. I know. Exactly. I exactly. Fingers crossed. Yes. Oh, <laughs> but summer. in general, I, I tend to write in the mornings. I tend to try to get my email inbox cleaned out. Although as I'm sure you know, it tends to just fill right back up again. So there's never any relief. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and then we do a lot of uh, friends and fiction business related stuff. I would say more like in the afternoons or in the evenings. As you noted, we have a live show that's on Facebook and YouTube on Wednesday nights. And for anyone who doesn't know Friends in Fiction, it's me, Mary Kay Andrews, Patty Callahan-Henry, and Christy Woodson-Harvey. All four of us are New York Times bestselling authors. And every week on our live Facebook and YouTube show, on Wednesdays at 7 Eastern, we invite other authors on and we talk about their books. And then we also have a podcast, a new episode drops every Friday, that is co-hosted by librarian Ron Block. And we also have different authors on that show every week. So it is a lot, but we love it. I mean, we just like you are, Julia, I'm sure. We are equally readers. We're writers, but but we're readers just as much as we're writers. And it's great for us to be able to kind of dive deep into uh, into other people's books too. A hundred percent. And I love that Mary Kay Andrews is on that list because I went through a heavy Mary Kay Andrews phase <laughs> where I think I just tore through her books day and night. I, that is like in awesome. college. Yes. Oh, I'm going to tell her you said that. That's great. Oh, yes. I mean, and that's what one of my kids, I was listening to one of your podcasts and she was talking and they said, who is that? And I said, a woman who's written a gazillion books. She has. It's totally true. It is. <laughs> 
It's so I love the way that you guys interact and just the friendship you bring to yeah. it. There's a real kindness and goodness to your presence in the literary world. And so Thank I'm you. just so glad that you guys do that. It's really a joy. Thank you for saying that. That really means a lot to me because, you know, that's it's very important to all of us to be good literary citizens. I mean, that's yes. that's why we started the show. We started it at the beginning of the pandemic it was as a way to connect with readers and then as a way to help independent bookstores and ultimately as a way to lift up other authors too. So that's really at the very core of what we do. And, it, you know, this is a tough industry. I mean, it, things change. You don't, you, some books do better than others. You know, sometimes big opportunities come your way. Sometimes Sometimes they don't. And it's nice to be in a boat with three people where even if the sea's kind of tossing you around, yes. like you know you have these people who are going to help you into a life vest and hold you afloat. <laughs> Look, how long can I keep this ridiculous metaphor going? I, mean, I think we can go for a while. There's an ocean. There's a boat. There's Maybe we should have oars. <laughs> I, I don't even know. <laughs> we'll send up a flare. Yeah, are there snacks in the boat? Because I just want to make sure you have Always. something to eat. Okay, good. Also, there, we packed a couple bottles of wine Perfect. just in case. Just Gosh. in case. You knew exactly where I was going with this because I feel like, you know, just, and maybe a little sunscreen, like, you know, whenever I watch Castaway, I really worry about sun damage. So things like that, you know, we're getting older, all the things. I mean, we we think ahead. So yes, of course we have all those things in our metaphorical boats. We have ridden that metaphor all the way into shore. (laughs) I am here for it. <laughs> okay, so basically what you're saying is you're insanely efficient. Every day is exactly the same, very rigid. Okay, perfect. I feel like I'm <laughs> no, listening well here. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I love I love that approach or I love talking to people like that because when someone tells me like, "Well, I get up at 4 every morning and I meditate and then I write for 2 hours." And I'm like, "I okay, I'm so happy for you, but that will not be happening in my life." So I- yeah, I basically live in a constant state of panic, 17 <laughs> steps where I'm behind where I need to be in every single area of my life. But you know, it all gets done eventually. So I, I'm just, one of these days, I'm going to learn to worry less and oh. just do it and realize the chips are going to fall where they fall. And, you know, the boat will still come into shore. I don't yes, know. <laughs> it will. Indeed. We will with not With snacks sink. and with, with wine. That's right. And we'll, yeah, pack out our trash. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. No, it is. It's such a tricky time. And I think one thing I wanted to talk about with the Paris daughter, the themes of motherhood are so powerful in this. And I think that's why it was so, it's just so heart centered. I think anyone who's had the experience of not only being a mother, but mothering someone, you could be an aunt, you can be a person who just cares for someone and grows them up in the world, right? So to mother someone, and then there are parts of this book where you just, it's very layered. I don't want to say too much, but the characters are flawed, just like real human people. And it's easy to alternate between you know, it, I think something I love about it is that you judge them at certain points and you release them at certain points. Yeah. So there's a lot of forgiveness. and But those themes, I think because the act of mothering is so central and intimate that it just, you can't help but put yourself in the position of some of these characters. And yeah. you write it so well, so it's easy to do that. So I wanted to ask you about that because I felt like when I was reading it, I thought, you know, Kristen is a mother and how did you go there? I just, it, I was wondering about that because I'm reading it, you know, just wiping tears away thinking, (laughs) how did she do this? Because to go into that, that place, you know, and there are multiple points in the book where mothers are having to make wrenching decisions, which is such a, a part of what we understand about World War II. So- How did you manage that? Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind words about it. And I will say, I think as writers, our best work comes from facing our deepest fears head on Mm. and our deepest worries about our own shortcomings, right? And so I, in some ways, think that putting these women in situations where they had to make essentially impossible decisions Mm -hmm. might have come a little bit from my own feelings about having to make decisions for my child during the pandemic. I mean, it's apples and oranges. You cannot compare making decisions during World War II to save your child's life with making decisions during the early days of the pandemic. But when you think back to 2020, when COVID was still very scary, when it felt like people were dying from it, the cases were much more aggressive and much deadlier. Yes. As mothers, we had to make 
these decisions that were impossible. Do I send my child to school? Do I keep my child home? There were pros and cons to both. And there was no real good decision. Mm -hmm. And any decision you made, you realized your child was going to lose things, right? Like your child was going to miss out. And that weighed really heavily on me at the time. So Mm -hmm. again, acknowledging that certainly that is not at all the same thing as what women faced during wartime when trying to save their children's lives. I felt like I understood a little bit of that feeling of being in an impossible predicament and feeling like all you had to go with was your gut as a mother. And you would do anything in the world to make life better for your child, mm-hmm. but you couldn't control variables that were outside of your your control, you know? Yes. So I, I think maybe that was a little bit of the root of this story, but it was also really in all the research I had done about World War II and all the writing I had done about World War II, that was one of the things that struck me the most. I mean, women and men could make the decision to go join the resistance or, you know, to, to do things that were brave on their own. But when people were parents... And they were in that same situation with the same things bearing down on them. The stakes changed. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to explore that. How how were the stakes different? And what would you do if you were a mother in the midst of wartime? And it was very difficult to write because some horrible things happened and without any spoilers. But I mean, of course they did. We're in the midst of a war. Not everybody survives. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, that's true in areas of conflict even today when, when civilian areas are bombed. It, it's not just the soldiers who were who were killed, right? I mean, yes. it's very innocent people who were just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is heartbreaking and is as heartbreaking now as it was then. And it was hard to put myself in that position. I, I have a little boy who's seven now, and I, I had to let myself go to some very dark places and in, in thinking about what would I do if I had to send him away to because it was his best chance of survival, and what would I do uh, if I lost him? So. Those are awful, awful things to think about. But let me actually ask you, and I hope you don't mind if I turn it back around on you. Your memoir is about, partially at least, about motherhood also. Mm -hmm. Is that something you explored also? Did you explore having to make difficult decisions? You know, I didn't because, well, what's it's sort of the reverse for me. So a lot of what precipitated this really crisis for me, so for people that don't know, it's my story of depression and anxiety and a season of intensity with that after I had really become depleted, I'd gone back to work, all these things. But so much of what I feared and my anxiety really pivoted on my death. I had a really scary experience with an allergy shot that was leading to anaphylaxis and they were able to stop it. But it just was one of those moments where it put a crack in everything for me. And oh, so yes. the idea of dying and abandoning my children became just too much to even contemplate. And then, yeah. you know, it was just the anxiety is so strange and vicious. And I had never experienced yes. it like that before, where yeah. it was like it was looking for somewhere to land and suddenly it had its place. And that was all I could think about. So everything was supersized. So, yeah. yeah, and it was actually, I was telling my husband, that was five years ago on Mother's Day, really when things bottomed out for me. Oh, wow. And so the idea, though, that they that I would not be there for them. So I think that's that's probably why also reading this is like, yeah. that. that's the most, most difficult thing to contemplate. And yes. also, I think the hardest part for me of being a parent is you don't have control. I mean, it's... You, it's an illusion. It's always an illusion. 
So true. And yep. And I labor under that illusion and so reminding myself of yes. that. So yeah, it's it's just it's a perennial thing. No one wants to have to leave early, you know? Absolutely. Well, I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from your memoir. I can't wait to, wait to read it. It's called Everyone But Myself, right? And Everyone it comes out in January. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait. It, it sounds right up my alley. And I think just that exploration. And, you know, and, and I feel like the Paris daughter does that too, just explores a little bit. Yes. Not, and probably not as much as your, certainly not as much as your memoir does, but explores that idea that you you don't have control and, no. and that and you can do the absolute best you can. And yes. it, 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 there's no guarantee it's going to work out the way that, that you want it to. No. And that's a really unsettling feeling when, when you're responsible for these people you love more than anything in the world, right? Yes. Yeah. And how do we hold that tension, right? I think yeah. that's a constant question for me. How yes. do I hold the tension that these are things that happen? People die in wars. They die in yeah. all sorts of ways. Like people, it just, we live in these fragile bodies in these fragile worlds. Yes. And so how do I hold that with this feeling like a bulletproof love? You know what yep. I mean? It just feels like, how do how do we put all these together? It's just something that yep. always fascinates me and also feels heavy at times. But then the flip side of that is how hopeful is that, right? Yes. Like in the spite of all of this, in yep. spite of all of that, that we can have that sort of that sort of recklessness in the way yes. we love each other. That's, yeah, that's a, a really beautiful thing to remember. So I love books like this for that reason. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I also think another thing that this book, that, that my book is sort of a reminder of is that we all have a well of strength within us that runs deeper than we know. And I think that's an important thing to remember as a mother too, that, that you can face the difficult things because you have you will bring to the to the table whatever strength you need to deal with whatever situation you're facing even if you didn't think you had that strength you have it we all we all have it yes. um and we'll find it when we need it so yeah i, yeah. I look, well i look forward to reading that about that in your book too and i commend you on being able to write a memoir i i that is writing about myself is difficult for me. I think I wind up writing about myself, but I do it through these fictional characters I create. I think it takes a lot of strength and clarity to be able to put yourself so directly on the page that way. And I, I really admire people who can do that. Well, I appreciate that because I worry that it's just sort of like a quiet narcissism that no, is it's not. overtaking me. It's very me. brave. It's very brave. No. <laughs> there are times where I, I did tell my husband recently, I was like, I would rather chew glass than write another <laughs> memoir about me. <laughs> this is horrible. We're done. I understand. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Enough about you, Julie. And I'm speaking to myself here. So. I did want to ask you, when you were talking about the reserves of strength and wells, I before we go, I want to make sure we touch on just your recent life. You were diagnosed yes. with breast cancer. I was. And I would just love to hear about, now, where were you? This book was already done when you were yeah. diagnosed, right? Yeah, okay. yeah it, it was, but I was still in the final rounds of edits. I think we were probably to the, like, at first past pages or something like it was past okay. the point it was past the point where i could make any large changes to it Got but it. I, I you know it, it was pretty much done yeah. but yeah i was diagnosed um at the end of october just this past okay. year october 2022 it was completely a surprise i i just turned 44 so i was 43 at the time i didn't have any relevant family history i didn't have any risk factors that i knew about um I uh, and I didn't feel a lump. I just went in for my mammogram, and they said we see something suspicious. We'd like to get a biopsy, and I thought 
it's probably just a cyst. I've had cysts before. I'm sure it's nothing. And indeed it was not nothing. And that thing that was not nothing turned out to be more aggressive than we thought too. So I, I, after they took it out on November 3rd, they, I had a lumpectomy to remove it. The hope was that I would just need to have radiation. I think that's pretty common okay. with, with stage one breast cancer that you just need radiation. You, you need a lumpectomy or, or a mastectomy plus radiation. Okay. Um, and, uh, but because once they analyzed the tumor itself, it turned out to be more aggressive. I also needed to have three months of chemotherapy. So, um, I had three months of chemotherapy and four weeks of daily radiation that just wrapped up about a month ago. So it's been a, it's been quite a journey, but as you tied it into that idea of finding strength, we didn't know we had, that was completely, that was completely my experience. I, I, when I got that diagnosis, I was completely floored. Mm. First thought of course, was about my child, my son, Noah, who was six at the time. I thought, what if, you know, even though, even though we knew, I knew intellectually it was an early stage and I was not going to die from it right now. Right. I think I, but your head goes to all those places of and course. you think even if we treat it now, what if it comes back? And what if I don't get to see him graduate high school or see him get married or, you know, see all those things that you just kind of take for granted you're going to be there for. So mm-hmm. that was terrifying and it was terrifying to face this and to go through all of these things like chemo and radiation and to mm-hmm. not know what was going to happen to my body or my schedule or my life or my brain or my ability to mother or my ability to write books. Like it was very scary. But um, I also realized I had been writing myself into a place to deal with this for the last decade. I had been writing books about characters who find themselves in situations they didn't ask for, that they didn't expect, that they couldn't have imagined being able to find their way through. And in all of these books, including The Paris Daughter, these women find a way forward because that's what we do. We do that as women. We do that as mothers. We put one foot in front of another. We find a way to make life okay for the for our children. We find a way to survive. We And we find a way, if we can, to turn lemons into lemonade. And, mm. um, and that's what I'm trying to do with talking about it as often as I can. I feel like having this surprise diagnosis because I went in for a mammogram, when I'm a woman who has readers who are in the age group that needs that reminder, has given me a platform to be able to say to you, to be able to say to everyone listening out there, if you're overdue on your mammogram, please talk to your doctor about it. If you're not old enough for a mammogram yet, if you're under 40, talk to your doctor about a clinical breast exam. But just stay vigilant about it. If it could happen to me for absolutely no reason at the age of 43, and I didn't feel it, it can happen to you. So just, you know, and and if it does happen to you, it's okay because we're in the year 2023 and modern medicine exists and there are yes. a million ways to deal with it. Yes. And you will get to the other side too. So don't be scared, okay? Mm. Like the sooner you catch something, the sooner you can deal with it. So that's my little PSA for the day, my public service announcements. <laughs> I love it and couldn't agree more because that is the true, that's the true self-care that we need yeah. to be doing, right? It, which is just being as vigilant for ourselves as we would be for someone we loved. Well, it's true. And I know you and I were talking a little bit before we went on and started recording about how as mothers, we tend to put everyone else, or even just as women, even people who are not mothers, I think we tend to put everyone else first and take care of everyone else and put ourselves last in that list. But you got to think about what they tell you to do on an airplane, right? To put your own your own mask on first and then help those around you. And that's important. I mean, if you're not here or if you're not healthy, 
you can't you can't be there to help everyone else around you. So yeah, you gotta you gotta look out for yourself and and making sure that you're doing early screening as recommended by your doctor is is an important component of that. I couldn't agree more. Well, that was an excellent PSA. I think <laughs> I think everyone in the boat is very happy. Right now. <laughs> I think let's, we've done very well. You know, let's just uncork that wine now. <laughs> the, the wine and the snacks. I'm ready. <laughs> it's so true. Well. Kristen, thank you for this time. This was a joy. I loved our conversation. I think people are going to love The Paris Daughter, and congratulations. Thank you so much, and congratulations on your upcoming memoir, too. I'm really excited about it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.